Reporting from Cisco Security Intelligence Operations, this is the Cyber Risk Report. The Cyber Risk Report is a strategic intelligence product created by Cisco analysts that highlights current security issues in mid- to long-range perspectives. The report addresses seven major risk management categories, including vulnerability, physical, legal, trust, identity, human, and geopolitical. This report covers the time period of February 27th through March 4th, 2012. Vulnerability activity for the period was decreased, although activity for the first two months of 2012 shows a significant increase over the same period in previous years. While two months doesn't indicate a trend, the, the sizable increase does warrant attention to the increased vulnerability and patch activity. Cisco released multiple product security advisories uh, during the period for Cisco Wireless LAN controllers, Cisco Unity Connection, Cisco Unified Communications Manager, Cisco Telepresence Video Communication Server, and Cisco CS Software. These security advisories correlated with individual IntelliShield vulnerability alerts, applied mitigation bulletins, and IPS signatures are available on the Cisco Security Intelligence Operations Portal. Other vulnerability activity included security advisories and updates for LibXML2, multiple vulnerabilities in PostgreSQL, Red Hat updates for Java and ICS Bind, updates for IBM Personal Communications, and vulnerabilities in the ICS SCADA systems ABB Webware and Plus Control Panel. Threat activity for the period included exploit code for the Cisco Secure Access Control Server vulnerability and exploit code for the Microsoft's Internet Explorer Select Element Processing vulnerability. Cisco Security Intelligence Operations has also detected an increase in IPS signature activity related to the Microsoft SharePoint Server vulnerability. Multiple security organizations have recently released valuable reports Verizon released the Verizon 2011 Investigative Response Caseload Review. Akai May released the Q3 2011 State of the Internet Report. The S4 Conference released the video presentation of the Stuxnet Deep Dive. And Imperva released the Anatomy of an Anonymous Attack, which we'll discuss later. These reports include significant security details and recommendations and are worthy of review. IntelliShield published 83 events last week, 42 new events, and 41 updated events. These alerts are available via the IntelliShield Alert Manager service. Visit www.cisco.com go slash IntelliShield for more information. Moving on to the physical risk management category. On February 27, 2012, a ship dropped its anchor five kilometers from Mombasa, Kenya, and severed the East African Marine System's undersea cable. This cut caused communication outages and traffic slowdowns in Kenya, Rwanda, Burundi, and Tanzania, Ethiopia, and South Sudan. Some of the traffic was rerouted over the other cables, Easy and Seacom, or sent via satellite links. Safaricom, the operator of the MPSA payment system, suffered the most, as its servers are hosted in the United Kingdom. Outsourcing can make business sense, but it usually increases reliance on communication lines. If your help center, data center, or partners are on a different continent, you must ensure that you have backup links with sufficient bandwidth. It, even when other cables exist and are operational, as it was the case in Kenya, the premium for their use may be high, and it can take up to a few weeks until the cable is repaired. Moving services into a cloud has the potential to exacerbate this dependency on communication links. 
not only must your connection to the cloud provider be operational, but if the provider moves your data to a different location or where it's processed, that link must also be operational. By the very nature of the cloud, this movement of data and processing is dynamical and can happen at any time. Contingency planning is becoming even more important with our ever-increasing reliance on instantaneous and ubiquitous communication. And next, in the trust risk management category, an investigation has revealed that Facebook, admittedly, is accessing the text messages of smartphone users who have downloaded the Facebook social networking application. Facebook has stated that the information was accessed as a trial test for a launch of its own messaging service, and when launched, users will be presented with an option to consent to its use. Furthermore, Facebook contends that, quote, the permission is clearly disclosed on the app page in the Android marketplace and is in anticipation of new features that enable users to integrate Facebook features with their texts. It must be stated that Facebook is not the only company accessing users' personal data, specifically text messages. Other companies include Flickr, Badoo, and Yahoo Messenger. Even more eye-opening is the fact that some apps even allow companies to intercept phone calls, and even more concerning are those companies who are capable of remotely accessing and operating a user's smartphone camera to take photographs or videos at random. It's clear that the issue of privacy extends far beyond that of one organization. Furthermore, it's also clear that, as a society, more amicable and secure solutions must be provided to protect everyone. While this is a global topic, the actions of individual organizations provide prime examples to which society needs to be in tune, as the impact of these actions are far-reaching and can be quickly exacerbated. To the contention provided by Facebook imparting that the permission is clearly disclosed in the Android marketplace, what about the iTunes App Store? As verified, there is no such disclosure. Also, to what extent is disclosure defined? To clarify, reading the statement seems to suggest, by the mention of, quote, in anticipation of new features, that this is an open-ended disclosure that can incorporate various new features presented by the company. How is one to know the bounds of these disclosures? More specific details and clarified disclosure should be provided. Moreover, any time an organization decides to unveil a new feature in an application, whether in a testing phase or in production, a consent or notice should be provided to all users indicating that such new activities are taking place. Blanket disclosures and terms and conditions shouldn't be viewed as a reliable means to protecting users or providing them with awareness. A telltale aspect to this is the fact that approximately 70% of smartphone users rarely or never read the terms and conditions policy when they download an app. With the app terms and conditions being the new electronic era fine print, the challenge has now become the ability to understand and account for the myriad of gray areas covered in the terms and conditions as new features and options are unveiled all the time. Herein lies a key problem. When one attempts to download this application, or many others as well, through all of the description and what's new section details, nowhere is there a mention of the privacy policy, the terms and condition details, or the specific fact that text messages or other details will be accessed. In fact, until you actually launch the app, there's no details or presentation of terms and conditions. 
maybe one option is to present such details in the app research review phase, as that's a more opportune time for users to take notice of the terms and conditions. Governments and privacy advocate groups across the globe continue to discuss privacy issues and attempt to create regulatory guidelines to protect Internet users. Until these are enacted, and even then, users will ultimately be responsible for protecting their own privacy and should use caution in the applications and account settings they choose. And this week in the identity risk management category? About six weeks ago, Google announced a new privacy policy that would consolidate the policies from more than 60 separate Google products into one common policy. That new privacy policy took effect this past week on March 1, 2012. Google states that the reasoning behind this was to present one comprehensive privacy policy to consumers and to better personalize their experience with Google's services. Google will now combine a customer's browsing history, video viewing history, and search data, as well as information gleaned from their email and social network services to better predict what the customer wants when searching, when presenting search results and online advertisements. In the past few weeks, Google has come under fire for ignoring privacy settings on Safari and Firefox browsers, and their new combined policy has run afoul with the European Union's privacy directive. While Google was the company in the news this past week, all of the major web services are in the business of selling targeted advertisement. Apple, Microsoft, and Yahoo also have quite profitable ad sales divisions. One of the concerns of this new privacy policy is that Google may be able to define a much more accurate profile of its online customers. In a worst-case scenario, everything that an individual does online could be tracked, recorded, and made available for any of Google's customers. While currently they have no plans to disclose or sell this information to any third parties, that's always a future possibility. It, in that case, there should be a modification of their privacy policy and a way to opt out of the sale of personal data. The end result of Google's action may be valuable to some of its customers. For instance, imagine never being presented a non-relevant pop-up advertisement. There are several steps a user can take to limit the collection of personally identifiable information. Google provides a privacy dashboard that any of their users with a Google ID can use to configure and limit how information is recorded and used. Since several of Google's services require logins and browser-enabled cookie storage, uh, Google Gmail and uh, G+, for example, a, a user could choose to not perform Google searches from the browser where their Gmail account is being accessed, instead using a different browser for viewing YouTube videos and performing searches with cookies disabled on that browser instance. Google will still maintain the originating IP address information, but it'll be separated from the actual user ID used for Google's mail or social networking services. A user could preform searches using a service such as DuckDuckGo, which doesn't maintain or correlate search histories. A user could also make use of a system such as onion routing uh, that anonymizes source addresses. One final thing to keep in mind is that providing these services is not without cost. A general rule, if, if you're not paying for it, you're not the customer. You're the product being sold. And next, in the human risk management category, the auto-correction feature of a mobile device used to send a text message resulted in the security lockdown of a Gainesville, Georgia secondary school. 
The incident at West Hall Middle and High Schools was the result of the word gunna being autocorrected to gunman. In addition, the text message was sent to a wrong number, prompting a member of the community to alert law enforcement. The unintentional threat was taken seriously in light of a separate incident early in the week whereby three students at a high school in Chardon, Ohio, were killed by another student. This unfortunate incident is a story which compels a feature request. If a smartphone is designed to correct slang or casual spelling into more formal language, it should also scan the destination address of the intended recipient and match it against a local directory of stored data. Assuming that the details of the person for whom the message was intended were in the sender's address book, this issue could have been averted entirely. Well-intentioned features designed to glean the intent behind input that's seemingly misentered should be considered at all levels as the potential for problems owing to mistaken information, be it the message or the audience, will only grow as the complexity and integration of smartphones into daily life continues to expand. And this week in the geopolitical risk management category... Over the weekend, Iran held the first election since the disputed presidential poll of 2009. Initial results point to a big win for fundamentalists critical of President Ahmadinejad, thanks in part to a concerted effort by government authorities to focus public attention on external threats and suppress burgeoning political activism on the Internet. The Wall Street Journal cited an Iranian government official who described Tehran's effort to build a national internet network closed off from negative outside influences as construction of a halal internet. In January, the government issued new regulations requiring internet cafes to install security cameras and begin collecting detailed information about users and their surfing habits, according to the article. Domestic internet users noted that anonymizers and VPNs had slowed to a crawl, all encrypted email had been blocked, and webmail such as Gmail and Hotmail had become inaccessible. Over recent months, Iranian authorities have stepped up their arrests and trials of bloggers and web developers. It appears that Tehran is mounting not only a defensive, but also an offensive capability, with the announcement late last year that it would create a cyber army staffed with some 250,000 hackers. They appear to be getting right down to work, with reports last week of hacked websites by a group calling itself the Iran Cyber Army. With a more conservative group of leaders apparently gaining sway in Tehran, internet controls may not ease much even after initial public tensions over elections have subsided. However, Iran experts emphasize that power politics inside the country is complicated and opaque. There are probably those in Tehran who are aware that most regimes attempting to turn off the internet fail in their political aims, even if the tactic is successful. They may also see the value of public internet skills for economic growth and national security reasons. They no doubt noted the nonviolent success of the Stuxnet virus in setting back their nuclear program. With the likely collapse of the Assad regime in Syria, which acted as a strategic buffer against the Arab world, and increased tension with Israel, Iran's leaders are likely feeling vulnerable. The hijacked landing of an American UAV in Iranian territory last year might, meanwhile, hints at growing Iranian offensive cyber skill. For these reasons, information security analysts may want to be on the lookout for Iran cyber army attacks against other Western targets in the near future. And also this week, 
Global data security firm Imperva provided a detailed summary report on a failed security breach by the hacktivist group Anonymous. The failed attack lasted 25 days and consisted of three distinct phases identified as recruitment, reconnaissance, and attack. Imperva was able to make several observations about the attack and gather useful information about the methodologies and strategies being used by Anonymous. Imperva was also able to identify shifts in the attack strategy, indicating that Anonymous tends to start by attempting to extract data from the target prior to making attempts to disrupt services by way of distributed denial-of-service attacks. The report concluded with source analysis graphs as well as detection and mitigation techniques that can be leveraged by organizations to better defend themselves against an attack by Anonymous. Anonymous has been in the media lately due to recent attempts to obtain confidential information and to disrupt the computing services of a number of different organizations. While some of their techniques and attack methods are common amongst other hacker or hacktivist groups, advertisement and recruitment play a major role for the group and has been a key to some of their successful attacks. The media attention and active recruitment and advertisement that Anonymous is utilizing appear to be working in their favor for recruiting new members to their cause. Although the number of members in the group is unknown, there's a strong belief that not all are skilled hackers and that the majority are non-technical people willing to support the advertised cause with malicious action. The non-technical members contribute to the malicious activities by installing custom-made, easy-to-use software that requires little to no technical skills to deploy. This enables the non-technical individuals to participate in distributed denial-of-service attacks and increase the strength of the anonymous attack. Anonymous uses various recruitment and advertisement methods, including social media sites such as Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, for example. Indeed, our very own ways of communicating over the internet are major contributors to the success of their campaign. The distributed denial of service attacks are usually their second option if they can't first obtain and expose confidential data. And customers are advised to take a proactive and vigilant attitude in protecting their networks. Common information security practices, such as installing updated patches on software, having a good firewall strategy, and actively monitoring router and firewall logs for any malicious intent or abnormal activity are critical in mitigating any potential threats to their respective organization. This concludes the Cyber Risk Report for this week. To read the full report, visit www.cisco.com slash go slash SIO and select the Cyber Risk Reports link. Tune in for next week's report from Cisco Security Intelligence Operations. Thanks for listening and stay safe.